You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, welcome, Devoted Podcast listeners. Glad to have you back this week. We are trucking right along in our series here, the Beautiful Design Series. We actually, we have this one, and then I've got one more for you after this one. So I am glad you guys are sticking with me on this. Um, I think this one in particular is real fun. I think I said that about roles and, and submission in the home too. So you guys probably think I'm a little nutty, but I actually I actually do. And um, I think one of the things that as I have been going through this and studying this on my own, and you know, it just gives you a chance to really sit in the word on these things. You get to look at, again, our creator, our designer, our good, good God, and the things that he has for us. And I I just can't help but when I read these passages that, yeah, they sound like a do not, don't do this, you know, or this is what you should do, or, you know, those kinds of things that the world gets all bent out of shape and, you know, or we get all bent out of shape and go, you know, don't tell me what to do. You know, (laughs) you hear that little rebellion in us, I think, sometimes, but um, I when I hear this I and I read these things and study these passages, I see a good God that is choosing to offer us protection and covering, who knows us, who created our very fibers of our being. He knows us better than we do. And I think we forget that sometimes. I think I forget that. I, I totally am with you on that. But I have loved just getting to look at these passages again and, and just kind of sit in them a bit. So Today is going to be one where we're going to kind of camp out on some of the more lightning rod passages, I suppose, um, for some specific to women's roles in the church. And I specifically put this one after the episode we just did last week on submission and um, the one where we were really focusing in on the marriage relationship, because I, I do think that it's sort of a word that we need to redeem a little bit. And we did talk about this a bit last week, but we need to take this word back from our culture and and give submission truly what it's meant to, what it's biblically intended to be. And we talked about that a bit last week that, you know, it's a protection and it's a covering, you know, just like, just like the roof that we're sitting under, or you know what, if you're on your walk right now, you don't have that. So you would not be submitted or subjected to any roof. And if it starts raining on you right now in the middle of your rock, your walk, you're going to wish you had a roof or a covering. And um, so that that is what that word is intended to be. It also speaks inescapably, I think it's very much intertwined with an established order. And I don't know if we talked about this so much last week, but I, but I should have. So I'll, I'll uh, tack it on to this one because I think it does play into women's uh, roles within the church, but for sure in the marriage relationship as well. But there, there's this order, this, you know, they it will say that Adam was created first and then Eve. And like I said, I'm trying not to get too far out of myself because we'll get to that with this specific topic. But just back it up and just think about order in itself. We know that there it needs to be something needs to go first, something needs to go second, something needs to go third. Um, it, it just it just kind of makes sense. I was thinking, so I read an example of if a traffic signal goes out, you know, you're driving along your way and uh, you get to that intersection and all of the lights are flashing. Okay, great. Okay, well, yes, that would be a disaster if we didn't understand that there was an order to kind of get us out of that 
situation and to get us safely through the intersection. So we know that when everything is flashing, we know that it turns into a four-way stop, right? There's an established order. So this is a good thing. And it, and when we get to that traffic intersection that might be out, nobody freaks out and, and, and just says, well, everybody needs to go first. We know that if everybody went first, that we would have a problem and we would have a whole bunch of, you know, wrecks and that would not be good. We understand that we need to go in order. And the Bible spells out order for us, too, in so many different ways. And, and we are looking at some specifics in that order, marriage last week, and then this week, too, within roles in the church. Remember back in Judges when it would say the people did what was right in their own eyes? You know, I, I think about that phrase, and it's repeated often in Judges. And whenever we see a lot of repetition in Scripture, it's there for a reason. It's not just there because they didn't have any other words to put into that blank. They're reminding us they did what was right in their own eyes. And that is so our nature. That's just that's not a word just for the Israelites. That's for us. We like to do what is right in our own eyes. And without an established order, we're just kind of a mess. You know, back in the judges, that was when, you know, the people would be all uh, doing what was right in their own eyes. They would be a disaster. And then a judge would come in to kind of set things and, and hopefully put some things back into what? Order. Order's a good thing. And God graciously gives us order. It is not a uh, have to. It's a it's a get to on how we can follow along with order. So and, you know, with submission, it's it's not all about marriage either. You know, last week we covered that there is the marriage relationship specifically, but also submitting one to another. But then scripture also talks about some other things that we submit to in James 4, 7. We are to submit to God. That's that's the first one right out of the gate. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then it goes on to say, resist, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But our primary one that we're going to want to submit to is God. And that's first and foremost in all of this discussion. That has to come first or we're going to really have a hard time with all of these other things. We talked about that within the scriptures having authority on our lives in, in the first or in the second or third episode of the series, because that's so important that we submit ourselves to God as the one who created us and made us and knows us that he knows what's best. But scripture also talks about other things that we submit to. In 1 Peter 2.18, it talks about um, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. And then it also adds not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, which is which is interesting. We sometimes want are okay with going along if it's a good master, somebody that's good to work for, a good boss. But maybe if it's somebody that's, you know, not so good not, you know, so gentle or uh, just as this verse is talking about, we're like, hey, do we really need to subject ourselves to that? Well, scripture says yes. And that also echoes back to when we were talking about last week within the marriage relationship. Remember, this is not that you are to submit only when your husband is just doing an amazing, amazing job. Nope. You, we are to submit as unto the Lord. And that's where I think, you know, that James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God. That's the first part. Got to get that. That's who we're submitting to within all of these other relationships, whether that's an employer or um, in your marriage. But another one that it talks about submitting is within the church. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we are to submit to the church. And, you know, this is a much bigger context within the New Testament that we're not going to necessarily go into much today, but it uh, definitely is a, a big topic and probably one that's kind of neglected in churches overall. And that's just being submitted to the fact that there is a church authority. There is a there's a, a, a church even discipline structure and all within this concept of order and what the Lord has established for us. We have seen many churches over the last few years make some shifts on some pretty big issues. And this one that we're going to talk on today and really focus on the scriptures is women's roles in the church is definitely one of those um, churches that we just were as far as on every other score you would go you know this just looks to be a solid church and then some shifts started making and this is one where it's important to know what your bible says and it's important to know what your church believes on this because remember what hebrews 13 17 says is that we are to submit to our church, so you, you are the leadership of your church. So you need to know where they are at on those things. So there's many things that we submit to, and these need to be properly viewed to include this established order of things that the Lord has instituted, instituted for our good, for sure. So what about roles in the church? This one gets tossed around a ton. It's considered to be sexist or unequal. If there is not this equal representation of men and women, typically what they're referring to is upfront on the stage positions. Now, I want to say before we dive into this too much that uh, the roles in which women serve in ministry is not an essential doctrine. And you can have churches differ in this area. We would never put this particular interpretation of how we're going to um, view 1 Timothy 2 on par with how we would view Jesus as God, of course, or the atonement or our need for repentance, any of those types of things. So this is not considered an essential doctrine. However, I do want to put kind of a little bit of uh, some gravitas on this particular one because, however, it is an area to be cautious in that it does not lead to concessions in the authority of Scripture. Okay, that's really important. And I'll be honest, I, I see this one as really as a really slippery slope. So lots of caution, prayer, and honest study of God's Word. If the church that you are going to, if they ascribe to a more egalitarian view of women's roles in the church, so there's there's multiple views of church, uh, of what the structure should look like, and then there's subcategories even of those. I'm not going to get into those. Typically, the, if you were to narrow them down to two, you would say the egalitarians and the complementarians. An egalitarian is going to be more of that e women and men should have equal roles throughout serving in ministry, whereas the complementarian is going to say that there's going to be distinct roles between men and women. There's going to be things that men fulfill within the church and things that women fulfill. And we, we do so and we serve the Lord in more of a complementarian style. We complement each other. So those are the, the, the two primary the two primary roles or different views that people see these on. I am certainly not calling someone who takes more of an egalitarian view in these areas not a Christian. No, absolutely not. But and this is this is my perspective here. More often than not, it seems to be a doorway to other concessions within scripture. So, I think it's worth really looking at and it would be 
good of us to, even though this is a secondary issue, to really take caution and to really study this. This has become such a hot topic in our churches as late. And I I don't know, I just kind of sit here and go, why, why now? What, what's going on? But here's the thing, you know, it's hard to ignore how much that this shift seems to coincide with the cultural outrage and much less on what's actually in scripture. Because here's the thing, Bible hasn't changed, has it? Nope. Nope, nope, nope. It's the same words that was that are there on our pages today that were there thousands of years ago. It's the same. But our culture obviously has radically changed. So it's while the Bible's been saying the same thing for thousands of years, our culture and our equality outrage that you know, we even discussed that on the equality episode, it has more of a worldly focus and less than a focus on biblical humility. It's it's not looking at those things. So I, I, I believe that we see this, you know, current outrage with this more so due to the fact that our culture is raging against these things. But, you know, take us back to the scriptures. What does that say? And that has not changed. I was talking to one of our pastors at Athey, Gabe Carter, and um, he was reminding me about just how far back the struggle goes, really, when we think about um, not even just women's roles in the church, but just the struggle to um, who is the greatest, right? Do you remember? He was he was, he was was asking me this question. He was like, you know, what is it that the disciples were arguing even as they walked along the road with Jesus? I mean, it's crazy, right? But remember in Luke 9, that was when um, one of the places that he says that an argument arose among them, the disciples about who was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, he took a child and he put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For he who is least among all is the one who is great. Boy, I I love this reminder again. and, And that's why I think that message that we have from Philippians about how we are to really view this whole equality thing is where Jesus just turns this upside down. Because we, as we want to look through things that were right in our own eyes, just like the disciples here, they're kind of arguing about, well, who, who's better? Who's greater? And aren't we really doing that in our churches too? Men and women going, oh, well, why that that man is is preaching. Why is he better? That seems to be the conversation. And what does Jesus say to that? He says, he who is least among all is the one who is great. Definitely turns it on it, turn it on its head. Roles in the church kind of get this way when we equate a particular role with a lesser or higher value. So the pastor up front, he must be greater. And, and the gal who teaches in the kids class or the deacon setting out chairs is somehow of less value. This this was would kind of be this trail of thought here. But, you know, this is this is upside down. God, by his word, has appointed us for different roles and we serve in different callings. And even if you take the gender equation out of it here, right, you know, some men are appointed to the office of elder pastor and some to deacon and some for helping out in a specific volunteer spot or a different type of ministry. But men have different callings within the church. I like in 2 Timothy 2, verse 20, when it's talking about things that have different uses. And it says in verse 20, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. 
ready for every good work. I think that's what we're all aiming to do. We want to be ready for good work. But isn't it this thing about us that gets us all tied up into, well, but this this over here is for honorable use and this is for dishonorable use. But we need all these vessels, right, to be to be used. Or Jeremiah 18, when the, that's the story where it talks about God telling Jeremiah to go to the potter's house and the potter is sitting there with the clay and he's forming it and, you know, doing it on the wheel and it gets a little bit of a nick in it. And so he smashes it down and, and starts again. Or and, and even talking about what those clay jars were made for. Some, again, for honorable use, some for dishonorable. The potter is the one that chooses those things. It, it decides that this over here is going to be, you know, a great vessel to be used in the temple. And this over here is going to be used for, you know, just mixing bread in the house, whatever. But the potter decides that. The funny part about Jeremiah 18 always is that it does have you have to kind of go there in your mind to go, OK, this would be as if the clay would speak to the potter and say, why did you make me this? And and that is sort of the question that I think really some of this conversation even comes to, because we can sit here and go, well, why did you make me this way? Why, why, as a woman, am I not supposed to do this, which seems to be more honorable? Now, again, I want to kind of stop us with that a little bit, because we, we're not taking Jesus's perspective of the greatest being the least and the least being the greatest. So, you have to when you if your mind starts going down that road, you really need to kind of take that thought captive, make it obedient unto Christ and and think about what Jesus's model would be for that. So then when we come to there being distinctions between what women do within the church as opposed to men, you know, before we were saying there's men that do various different roles within the church. So then we come to that there would be specific things that women do. And it's this to me just shouldn't seem to be weird or unexpected that we would have a specificity and a uniqueness in what God has given us as our role as women. It's not a value thing. It's not a who's the greatest thing, but probably would be good to remind us how Jesus answered that question, just like we talked about in Luke 9. For whoever is the least among all of you, he is the greatest. I love how Jesus always brings us back to that posture of humility and, and being the least. And it's a, it's a far cry from the world's equality and who has the value debate. So let me read you what the word says to us regarding women's roles in the church. And we're going to hit two major passages. There's others, but I'm just going to pick probably the ones that get the most press. So we'll start with 1 Timothy 2. And starting in verse 11, it says, A woman must learn in quietness and full submissiveness. Do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. Okay, that's just 11 and 12. So let's pause there real quick. Um, I want to look at the word quietness, first of all. And that's when I, you know, I look in the Bible knowledge commentary. It's a great little commentary. Well, it's not little. It's a big commentary, but um, that's a good one. And it was talking about that word quietness there is not it's translated as quiet or sometimes silent. It says it says um, silent later in verse 12, but it doesn't mean complete silence or no talking here. We're going to talk about another passage later that actually does mean that. But this one, this one doesn't. It's when I was talking to Pastor Gabe about this one, he even described this one as it's it's meaning saying that they would not be contentious, really. Um, so it's not meaning that there would be no speaking at all, but more that there would be rest and there would not be contention. 
we know from first Corinthians 11 five that because Paul says there, he says he talks about women prophesying and praying and it, it's in the context of publicly in church. So that is not to be understood that we are to be never speak when we walk into when we walk into church. So just that quick little pause on quietness in this context here. So a woman must learn in quietness and full submissiveness. Do I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man she is to remain quiet. So now let's look at that second part on um, to teach or to exercise authority. So first of all, I and I guess I should say all of this, those that disagree with what I believe the scripture is saying here about women's roles. And when I say what I believe, because guys, I just kind of just take the scripture at its word. I'm not real fancy when it says that a woman is not to teach or exercise authority over man. I'm kind of good with that. So just get my bias out of the way for you on that. But for those that disagree with me on this, they will approach this and say that this is just this is just a cultural context of something that was going on in the church in Ephesus that Paul is giving a, you know, giving Pastor Timothy this little word on. So a couple things on that. It may be that a situation arose in the church in Ephesus that, you know, maybe some situation or happened and Paul needed to address this. That very well could be that that was kind of the instigator of this. But all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching and correction and training in righteousness. He tells us later in the in Second Timothy. So I don't necessarily believe that we could just throw it out, even if it was just for that church in in Ephesus. However, that is not the reason that Paul gives us as to why this is true. And that's why I think this passage in Timothy here is so important for this um, this conversation about women's roles in the church and why I think this one rightly should be the one that we look to for this, because he gives us a why for for this. And his reason for why is not to be meant is not meant to be taken in a, a cultural context. So first Timothy two goes on in verse 13 and says, and this is the why for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who was deceived and fell into transgression. Okay, so here's the thing. Those are two verses that make some gals mad. If we if we didn't make people mad with just saying that women are not to teach or exercise authority, then we for sure make people mad when we say, just a reminder, <laughs> Adam was formed first and then Eve. So that's basically saying he was first, you are second, second, and then already our, you know, our sin nature just says, well, I don't want to be second. Well, it just a fact is a fact. We were created second. And then goes on to say, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who was deceived and fell into transgression. Eve was deceived. I know. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the in the episode we did about Eve. This isn't offensive. It really isn't. This is calling it how it happened. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to resist the temptation to rehash some of the things we talked about in the episode about Eve, but Eve was vulnerable in this way. And remember when we talked about the things that she was um, she was tempted and vulnerable to the things that would give her enlightenment and that would open her eyes that she could be like God. Those were the things that was what was tempting to her and why she then fell for the serpent's temptation there. She was vulnerable in this way. So it's not insulting to recognize that this is a weakness and that we have vulnerabilities. And the fact that it, and we know that we have these vulnerabilities because God's word says that we have these vulnerabilities. Just to pause on this just for a bit, because the awareness of this is really helpful to me personally in my role at 
at AFI. I think this is just a huge word of caution to gals specifically in ministry roles and why I am really, really thankful for covering in this area. You guys have heard me talk about here on the podcast or uh, Devoted Live, any kind of teaching that I, I'll be working on. And you'll hear me say that I, you'll, I'll mention my husband. And gals, if you're married, your husband is a covering. You know, this is part of one of those great get to's and great protection for us. And so practically how this works, Chris and I have great conversations where, you know, I throw something past him about maybe a particular passage I'm studying or um, maybe some other idea related to this because he he really offers perspective often that I just don't see at all. And I actually I think it goes back to this exactly how we were created to be. You know, I can have vulnerabilities to being deceived by something. They are not as tripped up by those things. Now, I I know some people when they hear this, they're like, well, you don't know so and so and you don't you don't know, you know, my husband or this person or that they are the ones that they fall for things. And like, I, I feel like we just need to take a step back and not be so defensive on this one. I, I get it. I'm I'm a girl, too. And this is telling me right here that I can be deceived by things. So I guess we personally just have decisions to make with that. We can either just get bent out of shape and like find that so offensive. Or again, we can go back to, hmm, okay, scripture's the boss of me. God made me. He knows me better than I do. So I can fight against that or I can just go, okay, okay, Lord, these are some things in the very design in which I was created. And you in your sovereignty have created this beautiful order You've created a submissive plan that is a protection and a covering, and you've created these two complementarian designs, men and women. I I often hear our pastor, when he talks about this, he uh, will talk about the fact that if we had a church that was all men and no women, how much poorer of a church we would we would have right? Um, He's like you'd, you'd have all the logic in the world, and you'd have you know all kinds of I, I don't know. It'd be pretty rigid, right? But you wouldn't have the sensitivity. You wouldn't have the flavor that women bring. And the Lord knew that. And that's why we get to work together within ministry. The second reason why I really pause on this part of Second Timothy is because my role at the church does include teaching the word to women. And that is a responsibility that I take extremely seriously. I, I, gals, I just can't. I mean, it's just kind of this... Um, I don't know. It, it's it, it's sort of like it's I'm blessed in that the Lord, when I am called to speak on the stage or different things like that in roles that he's had me step into, um, he truly has blessed me with a boldness that I didn't anticipate this little introvert would ever have. That's for that's for sure. However, it is a little bit of this quivering of knowing that you're handling the word of God. I mean, that that is to be taken extremely seriously. So I, I love that, you know, first of all, I have my husband, Chris, who is a covering for me. And then secondly, you know, because of my role at church, I also have pastors that I can talk to at Athey 
and receive covering from them. And and gals, I take advantage of this. I I meet with our senior pastor regularly. I meet with our um, associate pastors regularly. I meet with my um, I have a pastor Gabe Carter. He is the pastor that women's ministry kind of sits under. And so he and I re- meet regularly. I just think that is so important for me to make sure that I, in my role, am sitting under that covering because it truly is a protection for me. And it is absolutely just, it's how the Lord created this to be. And I just don't want to even come close to stepping outside those lines. Um, you guys might have heard a few weeks ago when Pastor Brett was on the podcast and he said something about that he had watched some of the Bible studies that we've done at Athey Women and thought, oh, yeah, you know, Amy, competency wise, you know, you could teach on Sunday. Oh, my goodness. I wish you guys could like I don't even know what my face looked like at that moment, but there was like definitely internal screaming going on. Um, Competency is not calling for sure. We've talked about this and it never, ever, ever will trump God's word. I understand that clearly there is something for women to teach from the front on Sundays. That's clearly something that some women aspire to do today or else we probably wouldn't be talking on this episode about this. But Beyond the black and white right here in scripture that women are not to act in that function within the church, I, I kind of just don't even understand why they would. So that that is a little bit my personal, I guess, take on that. So some of that is some Amy perspective. So take with it what you will. But I do think that we need to all people, men and women, have to take the responsibility of the word very seriously. But I think for women, there's even extra caution, really. And maybe for me, I just take the wanting to really strictly adhere to this as best as I possibly can and, and always be checking in and asking the Lord, Lord, am, am I in line here? Because it's to be taken seriously. And then for these very reasons, it's not a context or a cultural issue. It is actually a creation issue for Adam was formed first. Okay, so we're for there was one and there was two. And then Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Now, I I do think it is so gracious here. It's listed that, you know, it reminds us that, yep, Eve, you were tricked. You were tricked. You fell into transgression. But other places in scripture, when it talks about the the fall of man, it always blames Adam. Isn't that interesting? You know, I don't know. I, I read that. And when I read Genesis, I'm sort of like, no, that's actually Eve's fault. So it probably should have just gone all the way down history of like, Eve, this is what you did. And the, the the fall of man, the the original sin is because of Eve. But that isn't what scripture does. I like how the New Living Translation states this in Romans 5.12 is where you see that. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Okay, but guess who's not named in Romans 5.12? Eve. Eve is nowhere to be found. And yet we've talked about the Genesis account several times, but it's not Eve that that takes the fall on this. It's Adam. The next thing that it says in 1 Timothy there is it talks about exercising authority. And this is a where I think that if if we step into that role of teaching, and then it says in exercising authority, that one in particular highlights to me how out of order things would be. And I I know I keep coming off probably pretty strongly about this, but it's not permitted in God's word. And that's just, to me, that's all we need to know about it. And it's consistent all the way back to creation. We are not to teach and we're not to exercise authority. It's out of order. It's messed up when we do that. So here's 
this, here's some other another perspective on this, because what's interesting to me about this debate about whether women should teach from the front and what their roles within the church should be is that typically this debate, they, it, it has very little of what scripture prohibits us as women from doing. D- did you think about that for a second? I mean, let's just pause on that and think about how many things can you think of that the Bible says that you as a woman cannot do? Can you work? Well, there's lots of examples of work, old and new, of women and using their industry for something. Sometimes it's for the benefit of their home, maybe even financially. Other times it's for the benefit of the ministry of the church. We saw that with lots of women that supported Paul's ministry in the New Testament. How about education? Are women not to be, are they not to learn? You know, we know that isn't true. In Luke 10, when when Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet and, and Jesus says that she has is chosen the one thing necessary that to be to learn and to sit at Jesus's feet. So, no, it's not that. So remember the things that we discussed back when we talked about the positive things with the original feminist movement. I think I did find a couple. <laughs> All the rest are a complete disaster. But, you know, culture tweaked some things over time that were not biblically supported And those changes were great, you know, but most things that the feminist movement has given us over time have just been a drastic departure from God's word. But the feminist would almost make you to believe that that the Bible is just saying all these terrible things about what you can't do. Like you you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't. But it's not that long of a list here that I'm noticing. There aren't just pages and pages in the Bible of all the things that specifically women cannot do. There are many things for men and women in staying away from sin and things that we should avoid. But as far as specific roles or specific actions that we are not to do within our design, within how we were created, I I just don't see very much. Now, the context of Paul's letter to Timothy, this this verse that I read you, those several verses, is specifically giving him instructions for the church. So within that, there's so much here that it's not saying. For example, it's not saying women cannot teach other women. Or as Titus 2 instructs, um, it says for us to teach the younger. It's, it's not saying that. It isn't talking about situations outside of the church. It's a pretty narrow focus. It's specifically talking about a role of teaching men in the setting and structure of the church. So I think this is worth pointing out because some, as the feminists try to make this sound, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm putting feminists in a pretty large context because honestly, I've, I've talked to Christians and people that just belong to other churches that believe differently, that would think that people that believe like I do, that scripture is saying that women should not teach or exercise authority in the church, they view us as like we're being oppressive to women or something. And like I said, like let's do the math here. This is one area where women are told to not do something, that men are told to do it. And then also maybe to go back a little bit to our episode on femininity and masculinity, it, it sort of seeks to rob the uniqueness that we have all within the name of equality, for it to be equitable, for our men and women to be represented in equal numbers. But how do we know that this is necessarily just talking about the church? And again, you need to continue reading in First Timothy for the context there. But he's, we see further evidence of that, that he's, one, talking about the church, and two, that men are to fulfill that role when he gives instructions specific for the qualifications of an elder. 
And he says there, he said that the elder is to be the husband of one wife. So, yep, that means an elder or the Greek word for that is episkopos is to be a man. The qualifications for an elder can be studied more fully for sure. But my point is that for all the fuss that the church is sexist towards women, if they do not permit that they teach from the front is, I think, an overstatement to say the least. So 1 Timothy 2, that's the main passage that we see this, but we do see this in other places in scripture as well. So one more I wanted to look at, 1 Corinthians 14. And I'll try to do this one a little bit more quickly because I took too long on the last one. So context here in 1 Corinthians 14 is he's talking about order within the church. And specifically, he's talking about speaking in tongues and, and different things related to the order of the service kind of thing. And he says in verse 33, he says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, so are y'all upset? Don't be upset. It's all good. Okay, so one of the thing, couple things I just want to point out about this one quickly, but again, we know that Paul is not meaning that women will never speak in church because we know he, just even in two chapters earlier in First Corinthians, he's talking about women when they pray and they prophesy in the assembly. So we know that isn't what he's saying. But I, I mentioned to you guys that just as in First Timothy, there was there was the be quiet and it was more of like, don't be contentious, but, you know, be at rest, that kind of thing. This one actually is meaning silent, like don't talk. So there are pieces of this that I, I don't know, I can kind of take a little bit of application for this even more broadly. But I wanted to bring this up because I think this brings in a little bit of an application for um, husbands and wives a little bit, especially in church. Um, when I look this passage up in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, it gives the context to this probably specific to married women. You know, just like submission in marriage is unto your own husband. You know, um, women are not to be submitted to men generally, but you're to submit to your own husband. So this could have been um, being very specific to married women. And I, I, I think that could be kind of interesting in this. This could have been some real chatty gals in the church that maybe brought up this conversation uh, that were disrupting the order of service. And while this passage is not necessarily, this is talking about general order within the church service, not so much of the role in the church, meaning this doesn't bring up exercising authority or that kind of stuff. That Timothy covered that one. But I wanted to bring this one up as it relates to almost deferring to your husband. And again, I'm speaking to married women here because that's that's the context here. But deferring to your husband, you know, ask them questions when it says there because it says if they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. How I uh, how I have understood this and how Chris and I have we have talked about this as well. How this would be strange, gals, is if I had some, um, you know, major theological question or I don't know, but I had some question and I just in my mind thinking, oh, I can't. I'm not going to ask Chris. I'm going to go to, you know, so and so and I'm and I'm going to ask them. They will probably know. And, and and maybe that's even a leader within the church. Now, I think that would be appropriate if you're a single gal that you don't have a covering. There is, you are not to, you are not being submitted to your own husband because you're not married, but maybe it's to another godly man. Maybe that's a dad or, you know, a, a brother or something like that if you're single. But for married gals, 
this is just kind of this reminder to go and talk to your husband and ask them questions. And I do, I understand sometimes gals say, yeah, but you know, my husband doesn't understand this about the Bible. I would say, go ask him anyway. You might be surprised, first of all. And then here, the other thing is here is it says here in scripture, that's what you're supposed to do. So I, I wanted to just bring this one in. I know it's not specific to roles within the church, but maybe you're not a woman that's necessarily feeling, you know, trying to decipher out this particular controversy of women's roles in the church. But we're all women within the church. And I think we can, within the order of service and all of that kind of stuff, like there's ways that we can defer to our husbands and we can be respectful and just honor the Lord even in that way in the church. So with all of this, you know, if if your first instinct is to get bent out of shape about women having a different role than men in the church or that women are to behave differently within the church, you know, can I ask you to just pause and really ask yourself why? Why does that bother you? And maybe you want to push back and say, well, you know, elder and pastor, it's it's not necessarily the same thing. And and on that conversation with whether elder and pastor is the same thing and not to be weird and call me simple, but I just don't want to search for loopholes when this passage seems so clear. And the reference of this entire passage, the context goes all the way back to creation, our design and order. If Paul writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we are not to do something, why is that not okay? It, it just, why is it not okay? But our culture, our world would say, but that's not fair. Well, is fairness our life's pursuit? You know, scripture tells us what our purpose is. I love how the way the King James Version puts Revelation 4.11. It says, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created for the pleasure and glory of God. We were not created to be treated fairly, equally, or even be heard or elevated and empowered. None of those things. Now, remember my heart on this, and, and we've mentioned this throughout the series. None of this is a license or an excuse for churches or church leaders who misuse or overstep in their authority. This is not to look at something for how it's been abused, just like the submission when we talked about that in a marriage relationship. We don't judge something based on its misuses. I think it's important to remember that as we talk about all of these human relationship things, whether that's church or the marriage, we are all sinners. But for some reason, this particular issue in the church with church roles and what we should do and also with marriage and submission, those ones often get, they want to judge them based on all the ways that they have been done wrongly. And it's funny, you know, we get this in most things, you know, our kids sleep clothes all over the floor constantly. We don't get rid of the children, you know, or, you know, think about your computer or your phones. Those can be misused, can't they? Yes, most definitely. They can be misused and people do horrible things with phones and computers, but we still use them. We still use them rightly. Um, and when done so, it, it's great. So we don't want to judge something based on its misuses. One other thing I wanted to, as I wrap up here, that I wanted to just go back to on the competency thing. And we we have talked about this a little bit in other podcast episodes, but on this one, the competency thing, you know, you might hear some women say, particularly in this conversation on women's roles in the church, that, you know, I'm just as competent, if not more so, than the men in my church. Okay. 
Okay, first, if that is um, a response, you, it might be necessary just to evaluate the pridefulness in that statement, first of all. But even if that is absolutely true, and um, maybe there are some competencies in a woman that is just amazing. Here's the thing. Competency will never, ever, ever trump God's word. It just won't. And here, if you have giftings in certain areas, man, surrender those to the Lord as his. He gave them to you and he can utilize them as he sees fit. And you will be so blessed as you lay your gifts down for him and let him use them. He'll do far more with them than you ever would. If you have giftings and competencies in teaching specifically, man, praise the Lord. Because here's the thing, you are vitally needed in teaching other women and those younger around you. I, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. And, and this is an odd one to me because it's strange that the ones that are usually the loudest to demand that um, women need to be on center stage and, you know, we need to have women's equality in the church and in roles. And man, if there's four men over here, we better have four women over here in leadership and all of that kind of stuff. You know, those are the ones that are usually the loudest of this. And they're in fact saying then that women aren't important enough for them to exercise their callings and giftings too. Like that kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit because women are so important that they need to be elevated and, you know, all the things. But if women are, so, are, if their giftings are so important, which I think they are important, and we want to use them to the glory of the Lord, why are women and those younger not valuable enough to be shown those gifts and to be used in that way? I think that's unfortunate. Women are needed. You are needed to, to know your Bible and you are needed in these roles to teach the women and the younger around you. I, we are a poor culture right now because of the ways in which women are not teaching other women and the younger. Women are all, all bent out of shape that if they can't teach over in a capacity that scripture clearly says they are not supposed to. And when y'all do that, well, then we're, we're leaving this other area where women are really needed. And so I think that's important for us to let's just let's just view scripture rightly here. You know, the word tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. That's what it says in Second Timothy 2.15. We need to rightly divide it. I, it's, it's funny to me, these are not, to me, I don't know sometimes even why there's the controversy. I feel like scripture is really clear. Um, and I think we just kind of need to read the word. What's it telling us? But when you kind of find yourself maybe having a little question about this or whatever, I would say just pray about that. Ask the Lord to give you his mind on, the, on these things, and he will. Ask him for wisdom. He gives it generously. And I, I think that we need women that ha are given to asking the, asking the Lord for wisdom in these things and rightly dividing scripture. And then we need women to really boldly walk in the design, the calling, and the competency that the Lord has given you to do so within the Lord's beautiful design. Next week, we are going to look at women and roles in community and just kind of wrap up this series. So this has been this has been so great to continue to get to talk to you guys about this stuff. And I'd love to hear 
where you guys are at on some of this stuff. So please send in a message. You can always email me at the devoted podcast at athecreek.com. You can um, tag us on Athe Women. You can send us a um, direct message through there or however you like to reach out to us. But we would love to hear how you guys are doing on this. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue to get when we drop the next episode and all that good stuff. So um, I'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.